This is Scott Becker with the Becker Private Equity Podcast and the Becker Business Minute Podcast. Thrilled today to be joined by partner from RSM, Rick Kess. Uh, Rick watches the private equity world very closely. He's going to talk to us about what trends he's watching currently, what he's seeing in the markets, and a lot more. Rick, can you take a moment to introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks, Scott. I'm Rick. I've been at RSM for about 17 years. Um, As Scott, you mentioned, I work with a lot of private equity groups and their portfolio companies on various matters, and glad to be on the podcast with you today. Thank you very, very much. Why don't we start? We're we're talking now early February 2023. What are you seeing in the private equity environment? I I saw recently PitchBook said last year was quite a busy year for healthcare, not as busy as 2021, but still quite busy. What do you say? And, and, and of course, 2022 felt a lot less busy than 2021, which was an incredibly busy year for platforms and for bolt-ons. What are you sort of seeing now? What, what, what are you seeing in the market now in terms of private equity investing, in terms of healthcare, and generally, what, what's the temperature out there? Yeah, no, I, I, I'm glad you referenced that report, Scott. I, I took a chance and read at read it quite in depth the other day, and you know, I thought, you know, his perspectives were pretty much the same as, as what I felt, you know, I think in 2021, we felt, you know, as probably as busy as we ever were as a, as a practice when it came to activity from a deal flow perspective and in 2022 was busy too. Uh, I mean, we just didn't feel as busy, um, you know, but I think looking back, we were almost as busy as we've ever been. Right. I mean, I think 2022 is still a pretty spectacular year, when it comes to deal volume. So I think, you know, 2023, I guess in, in, you know, early parts of the year so far, it feels again, slower even yet than 2022, but yet, you know, I think that's somewhat, we've sort, sort of got jaded by this, you know, huge volume influx in 2021 and 2022 to think, well, you know, maybe more of a normal year feels light. Um, but beyond that, you know, I think, you know, the, the environment, you know, I think is still a bit um, cautious given, you know, the job environment that's out there, the labor cost issues that arise out there. I mean, I know the January jobs report was way better than, you know, economists predicted, but, you know, I think, you know, I think we heard some commentary from Jerome Powell just recently that, you know, they weren't going to react as maybe as, as aggressively as someone thought they might. So, you know, that might still keep people feeling like, you know, the economic engine is still churning in the right direction. And, you know, the Fed isn't going to overreact and raise rates too quickly or anything of that nature. So, you know, I still think the first part of 2023 will be difficult um, in terms of volume. Um, I think 20, the latter half, I think, you know, again, you know, specifically related to the amount of dry powder that's out there and the amount of activity that's still yet to happen. um, I I still think really well-ran organizations um, will have the best opportunity to make, you know, exits if they want to and things of that nature. So we're still really advising our clients to to focus on becoming as efficient and clean as possible, um, you know, improving your operations as, as best as you can and to squeeze as much EBITDA as, as you can out of your current kind of platform so that when and if deal flow kind of t- flips a bit, you're ready to be able to put yourself in the best light possible to be ready for that potential exit that perhaps you were considering um, maybe at the last part of 2022 and early part of 2023 that you kind of delayed a bit. Thank you. And and take another moment on 
sort of Powell, you talked about the Powell's reaction. And this is important to the private equity markets because it's important to the debt, the cost of debt, and and actually whatever happens to multiples as well. The January jobs report showed 517,000 jobs created, which blew away expectations by a couple hundred thousand jobs. So people view that as the economy is still pretty healthy and pretty hot. Uh, even though you're hearing about tech layoffs, well, those tech layoffs seem pretty small compared to the amount of hiring that's been done in 2020, 21, and 22. But but Powell's saying that he still sees disinflation, the slowing of inflation going on, so led the markets to have some comfort that he wouldn't ratchet up rates too much. And whenever rates are ratcheted up, it, it puts a little bit of fear into operators and investors because now the cost just to service the debt has gone up a significant amount. What, what are you hearing out there about, like in the last year, the you know the, the Fed funds rate has gone up by 400 basis points. The cost of borrowing has gone often from five, six, seven percent to nine, 10, 11 percent. What are you hearing out there from from investors, sponsors about the debt environment? Yeah, I mean, I think the I think you've you've hit it pretty well, Scott. That the the cost of capital is, is definitely changing the appetite related to transactions. Given typically a lot of these transactions are pretty highly leveraged, you know. So obviously the the deal the the interest rate environment really impacts um, you know cash flow and other things like that from a projections perspective. So you know it has it has caused some delay and some some kind of you know, pause there. The other, you know, consideration is also the ability to to find debt, you know, and I think, you know, a lot of, of our clients have, you know, perhaps, you know, exhausted their opportunity with traditional banks and have had to look at, you know, maybe non-traditional banks or smaller banks or, or banks that they're not as familiar with, which, you know, poses its own challenges, maybe opportunities as well um, to find new new capital, but it also poses, you know, just another layer of of effort and work and administrative function that needs to happen to kind of create those new relationships with these new lenders and understand how they work and fit into their profile a little differently and to report on the metrics that they're interested in. Perhaps they're different than, you know, what you were reporting before. So, you know, it does add some uh, administrative kind of burden to the to the puzzle to, you know, look outside the traditional banks that maybe some of these um, higher quality portfolio companies were traditionally using in the past and that are kind of having to kind of move outside of that because a lot of those large banks are starting to be a little bit more strict on their lending criteria and, you know, just changing the environment for them from the access to capital, not only just the cost of capital as well as you hit on. And these are big issues because it, it, at the end of the day, when you come into a deal, sort of knowing here's the two or three banks we're likely to work with, it, it makes everything a lot easier because you can approach the deal with a lot of confidence. But when you're now sort of working with some new people, some new different different teams, trying to get comfortable working with those teams, trying to understand their diligence, their QV review, everything that goes into their lending decisions makes things a little bit more challenging, a little more friction to the process when you're not working all the time with your regular banks and lenders. Exactly. You know, I also think because of those challenges, you're also seeing, you know, not just financial buyers in the market, you're also seeing a lot of the strategic buyers, you know, kind of thinking about, are they a good fit today? Or maybe they weren't a year or two ago because of the environment just being that different. 
Um, you know, a lot of times the strategic buyers maybe have a balance sheet that they don't need the debt. You know, they don't need to go out to the capital markets. So now they, they're offering, you know, perhaps a different exit and maybe a different multiple than you were expecting before. But, you know, but they're still able to kind of make deals happen, even though, you know, maybe some of the financial buyers are kind of stuck because of you know some of these credit quality concerns that we've been talking about or interest rate environment issues that we've been referencing. So, you know, I think it's just changing the environment a bit here and there and especially in different sectors. I mean, obviously, we've seen a lot of activity from strategics related to you know, healthcare IT investments and other things of that nature. So, you know, it's just always, you know, always changing. And it's, um, you know, I think in a fascinating environment. And again, you know, I think we still come back to, you know, if you're a portfolio company and you're looking at potentially an exit in the near future, the best thing you can do right now is to kind of get get as efficient and as, as, as easy to kind of demonstrate your ability to drive value as you possibly can right now, because I think, you know, in the near future, you're going to have the opportunity to display how that value can be accretive to, you know, potentially another buyer. But, but this point is so well taken, this concept of, look, capital's a little tighter, probably not that many people trying to do big exits this year, although there's, there's the markets, not, not, not that quiet. It's, it's, it's kind of busy and private equity funds are still really trying to put money to work. But there is, just like you see with all the tech companies, all everything out there, practices, healthcare as well, there's you know, sort of a reemergence of money's not easy, getting back to operational excellence, getting back to trying to protect margins and so forth. You know, you see it in, in every industry. I mean, just it, as, uh, it, it, in, in the restaurant industry, people raising prices to try and offset labor cost inflation. And just every place, every place looking to protect their margins and get better at operating to try and make things work and pulling the different levers to show that you're a healthy business, even when capital is a little bit more expensive and a little tighter. Rick, I think so well stated. Anything else that you have your eyes on for this year coming up, 2023? Well, I mean, I think we hit on a little bit, but maybe we didn't dive in as deep was, you know, the inflation environment. Obviously, you know, as consumers drive so much of our economy, you know, if inflation you know, doesn't, you know, cool off at some point, you know, will the consumer, um, you know, pull back on spending in, in areas that are important to private equity, you know, is yet to be seen at this point in time. But, um, you know, one can only assume that, you know, and, you know, if inflation doesn't, you know, as, as Jerome Powell indicated, continue to cool, um, you know, it could cause other, you know, unforeseen consequences at this point. So I, I think that would be the other thing we continue to monitor is really consumer sentiment, um, which kind of ties well into, you know, the overall inflationary environment. Well, and that's a very big issue. You, I saw a report from Goldman just the other day that there was a report in the Wall Street Journal about consumers had built up excess savings during the pandemic. They've now spent down, I think the number was 35% of those excess savings. And now they expect at the end of the year to have spent down 65% of the excess savings. And, and at some point, as those savings get spent down and as consumers also have taken on a little too much debt, a little too much home equity, all those kinds of things, that also at some point ought to soften consumer spending. You know, there's always the, the issue that even with consumer spending softening, the government keeps on taking on more debt. And, and so it artificially 
causes some health in the economy, even with consumers slowing down some. But we'll see how this all plays out, and, and not to get overly political, but you know, as the government takes on debt, it puts money back into the economy um, and, and leaves things a little looser than I think maybe Chairman Jerome Powell would like them. Uh, and the, but it, but it really is hard to read the tea leaves. See how these all all these things impact what goes on in the private equity investment environment. Two people have now talked about for a year and a half that consumer spending would slow as they spent on their pandemic savings, as they felt less the wealth effect and so forth. But it's not yet really happened in a significant degree. Agreed. Yeah, I think I think it would be an interesting environment to watch. Is you know the consumer spending. Um, you know, as, as a percent of our GDP is just such a big driver of that. So, you know, if the consumers stop spending money, um, that will be a big, a big issue for us. No, and, and Jamie Dimon at, at JP Morgan Chase and Goldman Sachs have predicted that this would come, this would happen, and we're still sort of waiting for it to happen. Rick Kess, again, brilliant partner at RSM. Thank you for joining us today on the Becker Private Equity and the Becker Business Minute podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Scott.